0: Hello, and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Well, wonderful to see you all. My name is Gabe Phillips, and it's a huge privilege to be here today. I am married to the beautiful Fiona, and I'm dad to the incredible Olivia Grace. Hello, Olivia Grace. And uh, couldn't be proud of that. And uh, welcome to week three of our Sex on Sundays series. I'm very excited this morning. I'm the youngest of three brothers. I've got two older brothers, one who's eight years, my senior, Damien, then Simon, who's five years, my senior. Uh, growing up in Zimbabwe, Damien was just, just a little bit too old for me to have a close friendship with him. He was cool, but he was just a little bit out there because I started junior school, then he started senior school. I started senior school, he was out the home. But Simon was a little bit more tangible, and Simon very quickly became my hero. Let me tell you why Simon was my hero in in Zimbabwe in the 90s. Simon had an earring. Yeah, he was cool. He also had peroxided hair. Yeah. Then when he was 13, 14, he found out this thing called creatine in the gym. So Simon started becoming extra cool, but also above all that, he could rave. Any 90s kids raving? He was good at that. Oh my word. He hit the, he hit the clubs. And I was like, that guy's cool. No, no, I, I, not me. This is Simon. This was Simon. But, you know, the incredible thing about Simon, what, what actually made him my hero even more as a young lad, was that every night when my parents would go out, Simon would go and usurp the landline. Anyone remember the landline? It was the phone with the cord. Anyone remember? He used to, like, after you do a workout to dial that phone, you know? You hated people who had the numbers there and their, and their numbers. We'll have to all the way. Anyway, that's just a throwback for you. But uh, he would usurp the phone, and he would whip out his little black book. I kid you not, he had a little black book with different girls' numbers across the city. And Simon would phone these girls, and he would spend hours talking to different girls on the phone while my parents asked. And I'd be watching with wide-eyed wonder at the master going to work. And what made it really incredible was that he actually didn't have to remember any of their names because he called every single one of them my tiny. I promise you, that was his pet name for about 20 girls in Zimbabwe. His, his incredible spade work on the phone would leave and led to him. Every Valentine's would come and go. And Simon would have a stash of letters and chocolates. So much so that he had, a, he had a folder behind his bed, I kid you not, filled with love letters from girls to him. Just, and every one of them was signed, from your tiny. It was just genius. Genius. I'm not preaching it, so don't take notes. Please, please, please. It's not good stuff. But I was a little bit different, so much so that actually Valentine's days would come and go, and I had no folder behind my bed. There was no letters coming my way, because I didn't have an earring. Uh, I I didn't have peroxide hair. I did not eat creatine in gym, and I definitely did not know how to rave. Still don't know. Still don't know. But I had, I had to use whatever little I had, and so much so I've told the story many times, but it's left a, a big uh, a sore spot in my life. As I remember getting to Valentine's Day, one, one famous 99 day, in the, the 14th of February, 1999, in grade 5, I walked up, I was standing outside of our, uh, of our junior school, Outside the classroom, every year Valentine's Day, the girls would go in before the guys, and they'd put the letters that they'd been working on into all the little desks of their secret admirers, and uh, the boys would pretend they didn't care. The girls would be giggling with glee, but I remember walking in, and I'd every year I'd open my desk to nothing, for five years in a row, nothing. But this year, I remember, I'd always been seeing the folder behind my brother's bed getting fuller and fuller, but my desk remaining empty. And I remember I went and opened the desk this one fateful day. And as I, my little trembling hands started to tremble, and, and, and I started to get excited because there was something in the desk that wasn't there before breakdown. It was a piece of paper with glitter with a highlighter and some tipex. And my heart started to beat faster. My palms were getting sweaty. This so the days of Eminem, um, and as I was, I was like, and so I get excited. And as I opened it, and as I got this letter out, I thought my world's about to change. I mean, here we go, man. Who, who is my tiny? Who is the one that's gonna be falling in love with me? And as I was about to open up to find out who my secret admirer was, a girl ran up to me and ripped out my hand with big eyes. She said, "Sorry, wrong desk." <laughs> True story. My sermon title this morning, (laughs) there's a link, stick with me, is Relationship Goals. Relationship goals. What do I mean about that? If you are not a millennial here, you might not be aware, but there's a hashtag which has millions of, of, of users on it. It's a hashtag on every social media platform called hashtag relationship goals. is what people do whenever they see a celebrity couple they aspire to. Back in the day, Justin and Selena. Hashtag relationship goals. I want to be like them. Relationship goals, when we see a meme or a quote on Facebook that you're like, wow, that's what I want my relationship to be. And we go hashtag relationship goals. Or sometimes when we just see pictures like this. Just, hey, Mark Mark and Candice, hashtag relationship goals. You know, look at them, you know, that's what we want to look like. You know, that's it, you know. But I want to tell you, relationship goals are not bad things. They're good things. It's good for us to have goals to aspire to. But this morning, I'm wanting to aim, bring aim and direction to our relationships. Uh, Whether you are single, dating, engaged, or married, if we do not have the right direction to run in, we'll always have relationship statuses of, it's complicated, it's painful. It's average. I don't want to talk about it. But I believe with the right goals to our relationship, we'll be able to run with purpose at what God has got for us. Because, but here's the thing. If we're using culture as our barometer and to set the pace of where we're supposed to be walking, culture will always be giving us a moving target. Culture will always be changing of what is right, what is acceptable, and what is normal. But here's the great news for you and I, is that the Word of God never changes. And the Word of God from the beginning has always been about our future, our freedom, and our fulfillment in God. The Word of God is speaking. So I want to take us to that today because in the Scriptures, there are basically two preachers. This is the synopsis of the Bible. If you want to do a quick look at the text of of Scripture and understanding how you live your life today, there are two preachers. Page 1 and 2, we introduce the first one. His name is God. And from page 1, he is just preaching nothing but freedom, future, and fulfillment for his people. God sets the table with the whole planet at our disposal. And he says it is good, and he gives it to mankind. This is the good father. Not, not, some, not some Zeus-like God at a, a distance, but a father who's leaning into his people with generosity, saying, I have good things for you. Preacher number one. The second preacher is on page 3 in chapter 3 of my Bible, where uh, where his name is Satan. And he arrives and the first word as he slithers onto the scene is to cast doubt on what God has already laid the table with. He says, did God really say? He puts doubt there where God has offered his freedom, future fulfillment for mankind in every level, in, in relationships, and sex and sexuality, in jobs, and purpose, in life, in romance, and everything. He says, I've got a big, wide open space for you. The enemy comes and says, did God really say that? Actually, well, I'm going to put my, my account offer a, a fruit. And mankind looks at the left, he looks at the right. And for generations since, we have always taken the fruit, the cheap, easy substitute. But I want to tell you that the game has not changed. There's still only two preachers. And actually the preacher named Satan, as John 8, tells us, that his native tongue is lying. This preacher, the Bible tells us he's the master of lies. It says that he's, he's the father of lies. That actually he's been doing this since the beginning. That actually Satan is so good at lying that he's actually become so good at it. There's lies actually now, now sounding like truth. That the more and more he speaks, the more and more we start to think, wait a minute. Who's speaking here? Why? Because his native tongue is lies. He opens his mouth. He does not speak life. He does not speak Shana. He does not speak Afrikaans. He speaks lies. This is how the enemy speaks. But I want to say this morning, the voice you listen to will determine the future you walk into. There's two preachers, and I believe that we can make we can society will say, No, no, there's many more. Cult no. It boils down to either God speaking or the enemy speaking. So today I want to bring clarity to this thing of relationship goals for you and I. So why don't we speak, stand to our feet? We're gonna read one uh two verses of scripture, and then we'll sit. So it won't be long. Stand to your feet. I ask you to stand so that we posture ourselves in faith. It's on the screen here behind me. John ten verse ten and eleven says this the thief, the enemy, the second preacher comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. But this is Jesus speaking. He says, but I have come to bring life and life to the full. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come to bring life and life to the full. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that you are here and that you are fighting for our freedom. You are here and you are fighting for our futures. You are here and you are fighting for our fulfillment in you. I thank you, Father, as we lean into you now and your word. Would you awaken, redefine, and restore every heart? I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take a seat right now? This morning I want to give us three foundational relationship goals. If you're single, give me a wave. Single here. Come on. Come on. Nice, nice. If you're dating and engaged, give me another wave. Dating or engaged. Come on. There we go. And the married people. Well, there we go. Come on. I like those guys. But wonderful. I want to say today, whether you're single, whether you're dating, whether you're engaged, whether you're married, I believe this applies to every single one of us if we open up our hearts. Three foundational relationship goals that if we, if we want to apply, if we want our relationships to be fuller than my empty desk. Come on. There's a, there's a link. There we go. Bam. That's it. Number one is this. Pursue holiness before happiness. Pursue holiness before happiness. The enemy, this is what the enemy says. The enemy will come and he'll lie and he'll say this in different forms, through culture, through our friends, through our own voices, through what what is appearing to be uh, just what we think as society pushing us this way. He'll say things like, do what makes you happy. Do what feels good. It's only natural. You deserve this. If you don't take this opportunity, I don't think you'll ever be happy. The enemy will lie like this. I want to say this, that happiness is a wonderful outcome. Happiness is a wonderful outcome, but it is a terrible master. Why? Why do I say this? Why? Because happiness is temporary. Happiness is temporary and it's based on circumstances. We all know this. Saturday, the box win. Everyone's up. Yeah! Next week we lose. Worst ever. Sack them all. I'm depressed. I'm not going to work on Monday. Happiness is temporary. We get, you send a message to somebody and the crush that you like replies to you. Come on! The next week they blue tick you and leave you hanging for three days. Life sucks. What the heck's going on there? Happiness is temporary. Your, your, your spouse is in love with you and serving you and it's going well. It's an amazing and love, there's, there's a joy in your marriage. The next week, there's a little bit of a cold shoulder and something in between you guys. Happiness is temporary. It's payday week this week. Yay. Two weeks time is going to be tough. Two minute noodles. Happiness is temporary. I want to tell you when happiness is at the center, it will always leave us unfulfilled. And many futures have been wrecked on the pursuit of happiness. But here's the thing: I, I want to make this clear that when we're now with my daughter, she's 18 months old, um, so she's starting to realize that our relationship uh, is. It's, she's starting to talk, she's starting to walk, she's starting to grab hold of things. It's a lot of fun, but I think at times she thinks that I am the enemy to her joy. How do I know that? Why? Because most of our conversations have, at some point, of them me saying no, Olivia. Why? Olivia will see me and I'll I'll say, no, Olivia, off the couch, off the couch. I know it's fun, but off the couch, there's a window behind there and you're going to go through that window and there's going to be blood and pain everywhere. Dramatic? Yes, but I'm a dad. No, Olivia. And then there's tears and then she's not happy because she has to get off the couch. You know, I'll say to her, no, Olivia, you, you cannot touch the stove. I know the lights are bright and beautiful and there's a nice warm glow, but no, don't touch that. It's just not fair. No, Olivia, put that knife down. No, Olivia. I know, you're like, what home are you living in? (laughs) No, Olivia. Don't eat that. That is dirt. It's not good for you. I want to say that this thing here, that though she may feel that from her lens that I'm an enemy of her joy, I want to tell you, though, that I have gates at the top of our stairs that lead from the top the second story down to the bottom, not because I'm trying to restrain her and restrict her from joy. I'm trying to protect her for greater joy. That actually I would be a poor father if I sacrificed her future joy in life for a temporary happiness now. No one in their right mind would say, good dad, if I said, you know what, have a swing with a knife for a little while. You enjoy it. You do you, Olivia. (laughs) No. But here's the thing. We have a heavenly father who is far greater than I am. I thought I'd have an amen there from somebody. (laughs) We have a heavenly father who's far greater than I am. And he's a father who puts parameters not to subdue our joy, but to urge us into greater joy. So let me just open this up. What do I mean by holiness? I'm not meaning a mere moral conduct or sterile, prudish religion. I'm saying actually by holiness, I'm saying pursue God's heart and not just the happiness of yours. How do we do this? This is how I'm learning this in, in this, this f- fragile thing of relationship is, number one, Scripture tells us to seek first. Seek first. Matthew 6.33 says, above all else, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. And when, as I read Scripture, I see that thing saying, all these things will be added to you. And I'm like, I want all these things. Anyone else want all these things? I don't even know what they are. It just sounds good. I'm like, give it to me, God. And, and he's the God who's got all these things for us, but actually it's not the first all in the scripture. It starts with the first all is above all else. Seek first. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a root that will determine our fruit. There's a priority before the provision. There's, there's a sowing before the growing in the kingdom of God. And actually it comes down to this level that God is actually saying to us, if you trust me to provide the good things, but actually the process is you seek first me. How does it play out in relationships? Fiona and I got married, and, and, and it was a fairy tale. I know I know, you guys followed it on social media. You guys loved it. You know, just couldn't believe it. The ginger and Fiona. Some were unkindly calling it Fiona and Shrek. I just don't appreciate that. But anyway, we move on. But we were in love, and life was good and easy and amazing and fun, and we had budget for days to go out on, on dates, and it was amazing. And then the baby came. Wonderful. But everything changed, and all of a sudden, my level-headed wife, who is never flustered by anything, who can make a plan, who's, never, who's always got her list in order, and her life in order, and, and brings such a sense of sanity to our home. All of a sudden, hormones kick in, and she is a pool of tears every day, and I'm like, God help us. God, we're in trouble. You know, and, and then the problem also kicks in that the sleepless nights kicking. And for a guy who's been used to seven, eight hours a night loving it, you know, all of a sudden it's boiled down to two, three hours if we're lucky of broken sleep, forty minute segments for five, six months. And all of a sudden, the beauty of this relationship, the relationship goals have shifted. As all of a sudden, my wife is in tears, and I am sleep deprived, and I, we don't know what to do, and tensions arriving, where there were no tensions before, chaos is arriving, and everything inside of us is wanting to pull away. This is what actually happened to happen. We have to sit down and say, something has gone awry here. We actually can't really change the sleeplessness right now. We can't change the hormones right now, but actually what we can do is we can change where we're looking. And actually we had to decide in a moment, believe it or not, here's a confession. It took us about four or five months to get this into our head. That actually we were supposed to, no matter what, the hormones weren't dictating our future. Sleeplessness was going to take our relationship. Seeking him first would. That scripture doesn't have disclaimers. Seek first unless you're going through sleepless nights. Seek first unless you're under pressure from the bank. Seek first unless you need to just take a break and a breather. No, no, the Bible says, seek first. And all these things will be added. So we started to do that. And the amazing thing is, as we started to do that, it started to bring peace and order back to our relationship. I want to say today, if your relationship is out of control, if you're feeling emotionally exhausted and worn out because of your partner's response or lack of response, if you find yourself dreaming of a different relational future than you're seeing now, seek first. Welcome to Dr. Phil. (laughs) Seek first. Secondly, though, it's only part of the equation. I believe it says, secondly, under this is, seek completely. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. And he will make your paths straight. Say this, if your heart is not all in on this pursuit of seeking first Jesus, it will lead you to places you don't want to go. Scripture says, a house divided shall fall. I tell you, a heart divided will not stand if your heart is, um, I'm going to seek God, but I'm also going to still seek my happiness and my pleasure on the side, I'm telling you, you're on a a journey of pain and disillusionment in your relationships. Let me boil it down this way. You Ready to get real. Sex is a holy thing. Sex is a beautiful thing. It's a powerful thing. And in marriage, it will build up. Outside of marriage, sex will destroy I cannot say it plainer than that. Sex will eradicate and pull away. Why? Because you're in the domain of the second preacher. He'll dress it up in other ways. He'll try to make it look prettier. He'll start to sell you different lies and try to con your ears to lean into that voice. But the voice you listen to will determine the future you walk into. So I want to say if you're having a sexual relationship with anyone that is not your spouse, I throw in there with the internet. I throw in there SMS chat lines. I throw in there that, that person that you're just getting too emotionally connected to at work. If you're having a sexual relationship with anyone that's not your spouse, I was up early this morning praying, and God gave me a word for you. Stop it. Seriously. Here is the mercy and grace of God. Stop it. If, she is not, if you're not married to her, if you're not married to him, stop it. Here is freedom. Today, not condemnation. Here is freedom for you and I. Though so here's my suggestion to you: If you are saying to me, "Gabe, but it's complicated," you don't understand Well, well Gabe is complicated. If if I stop, if I stop leaning into that area with them, they'll break up with me. Gabe is complicated. My spouse has pulled away from me, and we haven't been intimate for three, four months. What am I supposed to do? I've got needs. Gabe is complicated. I'm lonely. Gabe is complicated. I just want to be loved, and happy. Here's my truth for you today. Seek first the kingdom of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And he said, and all these things will be added and I'll make your path straight. Because here's the thing. Repent and make Jesus Lord of your relationships. Sounds simple, but I know it's not. But it is that baseline for you and I, that actually we make Lord, Jesus Lord of everything. But sometimes we're like, actually, but my relationship between me and that person. We'll deal with that. But let me say, when you're not hiding your search history, when you're not deleting text messages, when you're not making excuses for the person you're with, you'll find a greater joy start to bubble up than you could ever ask, dream, or imagine. Because he's a good father. He says, pursue holiness above happiness, and you'll land in joy. Secondly, this morning, everyone all right? Pursue covenant over convenience. The enemy's lie will say this. this, do what makes life easier. It's cheaper if you just live together. It's easier if you just stay over. We're going to get married anyway. Let's just see if you're sexually compatible first. Let me just, let me just do it my way. The enemy will come with those sort of lies. And the enemy, what is he trying to do? Is he's not just trying to make our lives uncomfortable. He's not trying to make our lives tough. He's trying to destroy us. Kill, steal, and destroy. That is his only agenda. Why? Because he wants to make marriage just a piece of paper. The enemy wants to make marriage something from a bygone era. That's cute. You guys still do that marriage thing? Ah, sweet, man. The enemy wants to make marriages something that couples joke about. But marriage is supposed to be a blazing picture of Christ and his love for the church. It's the word covenant. Let me uh, simply explain covenant. Covenant is where passion and sacrifice collide. I thought that would be more profound. Covenant is where passion and sacrifice collide. Relationships before marriage will have a lot of passion. Parental relationships with kids will have a lot of sacrifice. But it's only in marriage where passion and sacrifice truly kiss. How do I know this? Well, actually, the biggest glimpse we get of this is Christ and His love for the church. Christ so loved the world That he didn't send a postcard. He didn't love the world and said, guys, here's some bucks that I'm going to send to you so you can help get you through the next month. Uh, He so loved the world that he died for her. So much so the cross is called the passion of the Christ because it's where covenant was created, where heaven and earth were reconciled, not because there was a God with warm wishes and a God who wanted good for the earth. It was a God who was willing to die for the earth. That's where covenant was established. And the picture of marriage picks up from there. Do you love the person and are you willing to die for them? And here's the amazing thing, not just willing, but will you die and die daily? You see, this is incredible thing is that this is where covenant of, uh, the, the covenant of marriage gets its power because the covenant marriage is not just a contract. Piece of paper saying lists of do's and don'ts and what I'll do if you do this and what I'll do you'll do if, you, if I do that. It's not just a contract. It's not just what Facebook memes tell us, friendship on fire. More than that, it's not just a partnership of you do 50 and I'll do 50. No, no. Covenant is, the Bible tells us, where the two become one flesh. I love to say this at weddings, that when you come to a wedding, you're actually coming to a funeral as well. Two for one. Special. Why? Because two people walk in, but the Bible tells us that one person walks out. This is a mystery. Two become one flesh. And how does two become one? Two people have to die to their own agendas. Covenant is when we do this. When we give, when, when somebody says, from this day forth, I'm giving 100% to you, even if you give 0%. And the other person says, today from this day forth, I'm giving 100%, even if you give 0%. That is where covenant starts to come alive, when you're living for the benefit of the other. You see, here's the thing. Passion will sometimes fuel sacrifice. How do I know that? Bruno Mars sings about it. He says, I love you so much, I'd catch a grenade for you. So it must be true. But but I'm telling you, passion will fuel sacrifice. Yes, you'll do things for the one you love. But also I want to say today that sacrifice fuels passion. So if you're here today and your marriage is seeming not as passionate as it once was, not as filled with love for your spouse as it once were, can I say to you, sacrifice is your next step. What I mean by that is that your marriage is not fully alive, maybe because you're not fully dead. That'll tweet. Hard to live. But I want to say, maybe your marriage is not fully alive because you're not fully dead. You see, this plays out on a practical level. Um, my, my primary love language is physical touch. Secondly, it's, Fee, touch me some more. And thirdly, is, please, Fee, don't stop touching me. That's my love languages. I'm quite uncomplicated. But I'm learning that Fee responds differently. And these days, actually, when, when I get off the couch and I say, Fee, you, you stay on the couch, we smell a little bit of poo. This one's on me. And I pick up Olivia and I go upstairs and I start to change the nappy, get the wet wipes out and start to do the, the, the clean the butt and, and make it clean. This is I know this is very visual for you. As I start to clean Olivia's bum and start putting a new nappy on, feel walk past. It's almost as if I've put Barry White on for her. She walks in, and she's like, Oh, it's on. Oh, it's on. I'm like I change a nappy for you. I say this, and all jokes aside, that I honestly I believe that great sex lives begin with great sacrifice. The, the media will tell you great sex happens when conditions are right, when music is good, when the moment is right, and when, when there's what's when there's passions are flowing and it's like wham bam, thank you man, excuse my expression, but when it's like just raw and wild and wow, it's beautiful. I'm learning that actually great sex starts when actually I'm living and I'm going to live for your benefit. And even in the bedroom, I'm living for your benefit, not for my pleasure, not for what I can take, but for your pleasure. That's when two become a one in every area. I, I told the story uh, before but I say it again. There's a man, Chris Vallotton, whom i are learning a lot from. He's a, a preacher in Redding, California, but he tells a story of before he was a preacher, he worked for a mill and he was a foreman in the mill, and uh, they worked on a weekly pay system. So on, on a Friday, they'll have to play, pay all the em- employees. And the business was under huge pressure for a year, and it just felt like everything he touched failed. Just he had to systematically let go of people again and again, let go of people again and again. And they said Thursday nights, his prayer life went through the roof. Not because of his spirituality, because he said of his desperation, God, there needs to be some more money tomorrow. And he didn't know what to do every week that it had happened. And he will go to work at 7, and return at 7. He was putting in hours, and he was feeling so like he was letting my family down, letting the community down. I'm just not seeming to make breakthrough. He said one day he just had had enough, and he came home early at 4 in the afternoon. That was not his, his usual routine. And as he walked up to the house, he looked up, and he saw the house was in darkness. I'm like, that's, that's odd. The wife and the kids are supposed to be here. What's going on? Something, something's not right. And he walked in over the door, and he saw that, that the kids had made forts. Out of blankets in their, in their room, in their lounge. And they said, Dad, we're camping with little little torches and little candles lit. He was like, Dad, yeah, that's cool, kids, but something's what's wrong? Something's wrong here. House in darkness and cold. And, he and his wife walked in his, and he's like, Hi, Kathy. She's like, Oh, hey, Chris, what are you doing home so early? He's like, No, no, no. Uh, I thought I'd come home early to come see, but what's going on here? And she said, I'm so sorry. I didn't know you were coming home early, but come with me. And she said, well, I'll tell you as we walk. And she said, they went out on the portion, and and then she was turning the electricity back on that was off. And she says, you know, Chris, I know it's been a tough year financially for us. And she says, so I feel that I need to be doing my part as well. So every day when you leave at 7, I'll go and I'll turn the electricity off for the day. And I'll make a game for the kids so they wouldn't feel in despair or feel there's something wrong. And actually it's 6.30 every night, half an hour before you come home, we turn the electricity back on and get the house warm for your return. And as he told the story, he started crying. He says, he says that's where passion and sacrifice have met. Where, where the one spouse says, actually, I'm not going to play the blame game. I'm not going to play the shame game. Where he says, everything inside him was, was expecting a finger. You haven't made it. You've let us down. You haven't provided for the family. You haven't done it. But the spouse said, actually, we celebrate profits together. We celebrate loss together because the two have become one. This is when covenant kicks in. And I want to tell you, this is Ephesians 5 says it this way. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands. Now, hold on, hold on, relax, woman, before you get before you start getting angry. It carries on, says, Husbands, die for your wives. I'll take your submission right now if you want. But actually, that's how marriage it said, love your wife as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for her. He died for her. This is the power right now. And that's why the enemy will try to get you to settle for less. The enemy will get you to settle for less in your marriage. And also, let me say it here, he'll get you to settle for just living together. Now, let me tell you a story here. Friends of mine, met them about four and a bit years ago. And when we met, we just connected. And I I fell in love with this this couple. And even though he was an Arsenal fan, uh, I still thought he was a good guy. But we had this friendship, and it blossomed, and we became great friends and as the journey went on, they, they received Christ, and God was doing incredible. And this amazing couple, you're just like, wow, God's got massive things for them. And as we started the journey, I, started, I realized we realized that they were living together, and they weren't married. And, uh, and then I had to chat with Fee and said, Fee, we sh- probably should say something. And then I had to admit to her, but said, Fee, I'm scared, because if I say something to them, they might actually respond badly and think I'm being condemning of them. And they might actually might leave, and then they're good friends. I like them. This is the wrestle I had to go with. But actually, I had to learn that the voice I listen to determines the future I walk into. And actually, I, I can't take the responsibility for them either. They have to hear the voice of the Lord. The enemy will be speaking. But we have to bring truth and, and freedom and grace for people. And I remember seeing them down. And, and the reasons for them living together were natural and, and legit. It's cheaper. It's cheaper than having two places to stay. They said, we're not sleeping together. And I believe them. They said, we're going to get married anyway. All legit reasons, but I think sometimes cloaked up in convenience. Now, I remember as we sat and we worked through them, I said, guys, it might be cheaper now, but I promise you it will cost you more in the long run. As we went through it, I said, guys, not sleeping together, well, actually, why put yourself in a place of temptation? It's like, you know, I put my head in the lion's mouth. It's never bitten me before. Look how amazing it is. Why would you do that? Actually, get a, the Bible tells us, with sexual temptation, it doesn't say, look, be careful with it. It says, flee. It's the only sin that it says, flee from. So you're putting yourself on the firing line of that. And also, I believe there's a massive call in your life. God says, be, be, be above reproach. With, if anyone says they're living together, these days it's code for sleeping together. Anyway, just a thought. But then I said, more, most importantly out of all of that is actually, I believe that if you do this now, you're stealing from your future. Many couples, the problem with marriage these days is because people go on trial runs. They do, let's see if we're compatible. Let's live together for a while. And then they they get to the day of marriage and they wonder why the love, the passion, the sacrifice is empty there. It's because they've been making withdrawals before the time. When actually leading up to marriage, we've been called to invest. Pursue covenant, not convenience. But actually we call to invest into our future together. And actually, this is the sort of thing, I, I remember we said, I said actually the biggest thing for us is that the call of God is too big on your life for you to settle for anything less. It's actually not about this, the actual act or, or even with what's behind you. Actually, this is not me trying to point out flaws. This is me saying, look at your future. It's bigger. Don't settle. The enemy will get you to settle and sit down in convenience when he has got so much more for you. I remember the couple saying, "Thank you so much," and they said, "Can we think about? It? We'll get back to get back to you." And I remember leaving, going, oh, "I hope we hear from him again." Oh, <laughs> good mates, and uh, this was my natural heart. I'd plays up, and I remember walking in a week later and seeing this couple beaming, and they said, "We've thought about it, and we're moving out." And at great cost, this guy moved into another another flat far away from the from the girl. Leading up to the marriage, it cost him petrol, it cost him money, it cost him time. But I'm telling you now, as I look at their marriage and I look at their influences growing with their friends now, I tell you, God, the cost there is seeming so, so small to the fruit right now. Can I tell you in this thing, can we be a people who don't make our response based on circumstance or convenience? Can we make our response on the call of God? You were called to represent Christ's love for the church. Pursue the covenant, not convenience. Finally this morning, pursue holiness above happiness, pursue covenant over convenience, but pursue purpose before the person. Here's the thing. God's ultimate relationship goal for you and I is that our relationships wouldn't be our ultimate goal. God's ultimate goal for you and I is that our relationships would not be our ultimate goal. You see, actually, as I read scripture, I realize that we were given a purpose before we were given a person. Genesis 1 and 2 begins, and actually Genesis 2.15, God places Adam in the garden and says, tend the garden, name the animals, fill there, subdue it, rule over it. And then it says in Genesis 2.18 says, and you need a helper. Sir, ma'am, you were given a purpose before you were given a person. But here's the problem. If God is not enough for you, no one else will ever be. Because too often we end up making the person we are with or want to be with our purpose. We put them on the pedestal. We put them. They have to be God for us. They have to fulfill all my needs. They have to fulfill all my happiness. They have to make everything work. And when they don't, we retreat and we blame. We get shame. We get angry. We get frustrated, and it leads to disappointment and dis- disillusionment. Fee said something to me the other day that that at first was a bit hurtful. And then I realized it was. I'm so grateful. She said, "Gabe, this is how conversations is going at home. You know, just dramatic." She said, "Gabe, you will never fully satisfy me." I thought. Please don't put that on my next birthday, God. <laughs> but she said, You will never fully satisfy me. And she paused and said, And I will never fully satisfy you. And as I thought about it, I thought, Thank you, Jesus, that I've got a woman that's pursuing purpose. Before me. She's pursuing the giver of purpose before me. She's not putting the, me on the pedestal saying, actually, Jesus is my all-sufficiency. He's the one who provides money. He's the one who provides for me emotionally. He's the one who gives me the resources so I can love you well. Yes, together we push each other towards holiness when happiness raises head as an idol. Yes, together we push each other towards covenants and lay our lives down when actually convenience would be easier. But actually, it's not just to help each other. It's there to actually get us to our purpose so we can show the world the gospel. The greatest purpose of your marriage, of your relationship, of your singleness, of whatever season you're in, is for you to know the gospel, to show the gospel, and to allow Jesus Christ to be the preeminent in your life. Because here's your thing, if you're empty of purpose, you'll be full of regret. Maybe you're sitting here this, this morning. I, I'm, I'm bringing this into close. But I, I, I want to say today, there's three new agendas for you and I to pick up. This is not somebody who's got this wax. This is somebody who's living this new and fresh every day. But saying, Jesus, in my relationship, will I pick up the pursuit of holiness above my happiness? God, will I pick up the pursuit of covenant and laying my life down, learning to die daily for this woman that you've given me? Above my pursuit and my, my longing for convenience. Would I pick up the pursuit of purpose and finding my identity in you, Jesus, alone? So I don't put that weight on Fiona. So I don't get disappointed and disillusioned. And actually, God, can I put these things into practice? No matter where you are, if you're single, preparing for marriage. Pursue holiness. Pursue covenant. Save that for that person. Pursue purpose. Find your purpose. Be fulfilled in who God has created you to be. And I bel- watch what God will do. If you are married, do the same, but I want to say maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, you're in marriage or you're single or you're divorced or you you've, you've somewhere along that relational journey. Maybe you're sitting and you, you say, I've messed up big time. Or maybe you're sitting and you're going, I've made a life of pursuing happiness, pursuing convenience and pursuing people. And, and actually my heart is feeling empty today. I want to say that there is no sin that the cross of Christ can't heal. There is nothing that God can't redeem and heal. I tell you this morning that the enemy comes to steal, Jesus comes to redeem. The enemy comes to kill, he comes to awaken. The enemy comes to destroy, he comes to restore completely. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and when it's applied to our relationships, everything changes. So I'm going to say today, finally, the voice you listen to will determine the future you walk into. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, this is a big task. It's a massive task. It's a massive task. And actually the greatest news of all is that when you you get to a place saying, I don't think I can do that on my own, I say, thank you, Jesus. Because the scriptures tell us that Jesus is our ultimate righteousness. He is our holiness. He's the one who holds us. When our hearts want to go towards sin and pleasure and happiness, He says, I am your superior pleasure. Jesus is our covenant-keeping God. That means that when you feel that you have not enough energy for your spouse, you don't think you can do this anymore, you can't make the big decision to move out and separate for a season. Before you get married, you feel like, I don't have enough confidence to do this. Here's the great news. You don't need to have the confidence. You just need to have the trust in the God who holds it all together the covenant-keeping God who went to the cross and died so that heaven and earth could be made whole and that you and I could be grafted into a covenant that even when we are faithless, He is faithful. Even when we give 0%, He gives 100%. There has not been a day that He's withdrawn His love and affection from you. There's not been a day that He's removed the sacrifice from you. There's not been a moment when your sin has been too great that He's taken a step back because He is our covenant-keeping, faithful God who says, I have laid my life down where passion and sacrifice meets for you. For your relationships, for your singleness, for your marriage, for your season of feeling, where do I stand? For your mess, he said, I have done it all. He's our holiness. He is our covenant-keeping God. He is our purpose. And when you give your life to that end, watch relationships where it was dying come alive. Watch where faith was diminishing start to grow. Can we pray?